This comes from Philippians chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. I pray as the Brandon comes up that it illuminates our hearts, Lord, and that you speak through him and for what you have for us today. Amen. Amen. When I was, when I was first going into ministry, God brought a particular leader into my life whose discipleship had a profound effect on, on me. At, at the time, I was being asked to become a, an apprentice leader uh, of a, in a training capacity. I, I was learning how to train small group leaders, and uh, specifically, they had noticed that I had some talent with writing and communicating, and they were putting together a, kind of a training manual, a book, and they asked me uh, to help with that. And through the process uh, of working with, with this leader, I, I learned all kinds of practical things about recruiting people and training people and how to communicate with people. But in, in watching how they ministered, I learned so much about uh, how to minister to those who are hurting, about the importance of my own spiritual health, my own emotional health, how how it's important to, to keep on top of that uh, as I serve others, and, and really how to, uh, how to trust in the Holy Spirit uh, to, uh, to help me have the strength to do the things that are not under my control, which are um, everything. Uh, my doctrine was corrected when I was getting things wrong, and when I was doing things wrong, I was, I was called to repentance. I would say that God has used very, very few people in my life as well as they, as this leader. I remember one day, this woman, she, she gave me a call, and, and she just told me, you know, I think, I think that I sense that God has a calling in your life. And it was one of these conversations that really helped me to, to frame and think about what uh, God wanted my role to be. Um, in the beginning, it seemed like she just wanted me to serve. She just wanted my help writing a book. But, but when I really think back, I, I, I think what happened was that uh, God put my, my name on her heart, and she just began to serve me as God developed me as a minister. When I think of this idea of servant leadership, Sandy's name is always the first name that comes to my mind. I, I aspire to be like her because uh, she helps me be like Jesus. For the next three weeks, we're, we're going to be in a series, uh, we're calling it Servant Leadership, and, and we're, we're going to examine uh, what God says in the Scripture about how His church ought to be led. When we, 
when we first sat down as elders to kind of discuss this series, we, we had something different in mind. We were, we were kind of just going to say like, okay, what is an elder? What is a deacon? And then talk about our process for, for uh, nominating and electing them. But, but as soon as we started to talk, we felt the Holy Spirit moving, and the Holy Spirit was guiding us. He was saying, I want you, I want you to dig deeper. I want you to, to look closer at what my Word says about leadership in the church. And I would say that there, there has not been a matter that has come before us as elders in the life of this church that has taken more of our time or more of our deliberation, more of our soul-searching. But in the end, we, we not only were given kind of a, a, a renewed um, conviction about our governance, but we were also given a, a broader and a deeper understanding and appreciation for the leaders that God has in place all around us. So this morning, what I'd like to do is take a look at the example of Jesus as a servant leader, and then we'll talk a bit about how we can follow that example here at New City Church. We'll begin at Christ's humility. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church, and so it's with His example that we have to begin. The Word tells us that He came in the form of a servant. He was in the form of God, but He, he did not account equality as a thing to be grasped. He, he took on the form of a servant, the form of a human being, and He humbled Himself and was obedient even to the point of death even death on a cross. This is, this is maybe the most profound passage of Scripture ever. This is what sets us apart from every other religion, that God Himself became one of us. And I think there's a, a few key points in His humility that we should take a look at. The first is, is that Jesus had equality with God. See, Jesus isn't the, the like red-headed stepchild of the Trinity. He's not like the lesser part of the Trinity. Every member, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they, they have a unique role, but they are equal in substance and power and eternity. And though Jesus was the Father's equal, He willingly became a servant, someone who was uh, submissive. See, Jesus has a, he has a particular role in God's plan of redemption. When sin entered the world, the pinnacle of, of His own creation, human beings, they had been separated from God by their sin. And, and in that moment, I think Adam and Eve were, they were crestfallen. They were in a, they were in a, a place of despair. They were realizing what their sin had done and what it was costing them, what the horrible consequences of that one bad decision were going to be. And in that moment, God spoke of the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. He said this while He was cursing Satan for what He had done. In Genesis 3.15, this is what God said. He said, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, a mortal wound, and you shall bruise his heel, just a minor wound. 
See, from the very beginning of creation, Jesus' role as our Redeemer was established. And this, this verse is a, it's a foreshadowing, a telling of Jesus' birth from the Virgin Mary and His death on the cross and His triumphant resurrection. Only someone equal with God could live a perfect life free from sin. Only someone equal with God could take the sins of others on His shoulders and die in their place. And only someone equal with God could overcome the power of death and rise again from the dead. There has never been a human being who is capable of this. And unless Jesus, God Himself, chose to serve those He created, we would never have had any hope. Jesus was equal with God. He, he is God. It had to be Him. Thank goodness that equality was not so important to Him as fulfilling His God-given role. See, as a servant, Jesus was obedient to God's plan. Jesus experienced being human much the way that we do. In Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus' life, it was characterized by obedience. He, he, endured, a, he endured very, very real temptation and yet he never once sinned. And in the end of his life, he was facing this unthinkable task. And yet he obediently fulfilled that role as well. In Mark 14, we see that, you know, on that night, right before he was betrayed by Judas, he, he prayed this. He says, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him, and he said, Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The Word says he, 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 he did this three times. See, somehow this idea of, you know, being betrayed by a close friend and then tortured and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and, and put to death on a cross and bearing the wrath of God poured out for sins that He never committed, somehow this was something that Jesus wasn't really looking forward to. And He prayed three times that God might have another path, but ultimately He was obedient to the role. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of His humble obedience, in His God-given role, Jesus was given great glory. It said He was highly exalted and, and, and had bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. The name that is above all names. That, that Christ's humility resulted in this ultimate glory is kind of a difficult concept for us, I think, as people in the Western culture. Because see, we, we kind of have this corporation org chart way of thinking, right? We think of 
the name above all names. Well, that's the name at the top of the chart, right? That's the CEO. That's the president. And, and with good intentions, we kind of take this idea and we ingrain it into the minds of our children. We tell them, if you work hard in school, then you can grow up and be whatever you want to be, even the president of the United States. If you get A's, if you study hard and get A's, you could be the CEO of Google. If you get B's, then you could be the CEO of Apple. We tell them if you work hard enough, you could be on Shark Tank. See, we've created a way of, of viewing success and purpose as, as climbing a ladder. We work hard, and rung by rung, we pull ourselves up to the top, and we look up at the people who are further along than us, and, and, and we're in awe of them. Now, I want to say there's nothing wrong with a good work ethic, and, and the fact is that the, the opportunities that people in the West have to kind of uh, rise above poverty and pursue their dreams, those are very real blessings that we have. But this kind of capitalistic idea of success, it's only good in so much as it gives us the freedom to pursue our God-given roles. And when we simply strive to climb the ladder of success, it leads us to some false truths. False. Glory is obtained by reaching the top. Jesus' example shows us that, that the ultimate glory was obtained by humbling Himself and taking the form of a servant. And this is what he taught his disciples. Remember, the disciples had been fighting amongst themselves about who was the greatest, right? And what did Jesus say to them in Mark 9? He said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone would be first, he must be last. False. Glory can be withheld from us by others. See, life can be frustrating when we're on that ladder, right? There, there's people down below who are pulling on us and trying to keep us from going up, and there's people up above who are just kind of like kicking at us and trying to hold us down. People are not being helpful, but the reality is they don't actually have the power to withhold from us the glory that we seek, because the Word tells us it's pointless to look for glory and the approval of others. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. False. There's only so much glory to go around. You know, when we believe that that glory is kind of reserved for those who reach the top, we have to come to this inevitable conclusion that there's just a, a finite amount of glory to go around. You know, I, I looked this up, it, no one's sure, but the, an estimate of how many Americans there have been since the founding of this country is around 600 million. 
600 million Americans. Do you know how many presidents we've had? 45. There are only so many CEOs of major corporations, and even in small organizations, there's only ever a few names on that top line. See, glory doesn't come from reaching the top. It, it comes from humble obedience to the role that we have been given by God. And I think that Jesus understood this problem that we have with this kind of performance-based, top-down view of leadership, because while a little bit of competition can be a healthy thing, what happens far too often is that somebody's climbing up onto the back of somebody else to try and get ahead. And when they get to the top, they don't even find any of the satisfaction that they were hoping to receive. Once we're willing to kind of abandon our misguided attempts to earn glory, well, then we can embrace the role that we've been given by God and find true satisfaction in the freedom that that brings. So let's talk about our roles. See, Jesus is the ultimate example of the servant and leader, but, but how do we put uh, that example into practice? Well, first, we need to stop grasping on to our equality. See, Jesus did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Now, what this does not mean is that Jesus stopped being equal when He took on the form of a human, when He took on the form of a servant. He did not stop being equal with God. But what this verse does mean is that Jesus did not allow the fact that He was equal with God to be a reason why He should not submit to the headship of the Father. All people, regardless of race or sex, or they're created in the image of God, and therefore we are absolutely equal in value. This is a true statement. But it is also true that God has ordained some people to roles of authority, and He has obtained other people to roles that are under authority, and one does not cancel the other out. Equal but different. Another way that we follow Jesus' example in our roles is, is uh, regardless of the role we have, we have to take on a form of a servant. Jesus' entire life, right, is an example of servanthood. But in, in, in the book of John, He gives us one of the most beautiful moments of Scripture when He's emphasizing to His disciples uh, the importance of servanthood. Remember, he got up from dinner and he started washing their feet. And when he got to Peter, Peter's like, are you going to wash my feet? And he's like, I know you don't understand what's happening right now, but you will later. And Peter says, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, then you have no share with me. And so he does wash Peter's feet and all of the disciples. And when he's all done, he says this, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, at that time, in that moment, the disciples, they did not know that the God of the universe himself was washing their feet. And yet they had this notion that because he was a leader, that somehow Jesus should not demean himself by serving others. Jesus knew that these these disciples would go on to be the first leaders of the church that he was planting. And he needed to flip upside down their human notions of leadership. He knew that once, once they realized who he really was, and once they understood like what he had really come to do, they were going to look back at this moment when he washed their feet, and they were going to be astonished, the God of the universe. And the rest of Scripture, it's full of the one another's, right? We love one another, and we pray for one another, we bear one another's burdens. We are all called to serve one another. And that's really the heart of the law, right, that we've been studying so much lately, this idea that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? And we love to serve ourselves. But even so, Jesus especially emphasized the expectation that those who are called to leadership roles are to be in the form of a servant. I think that sometimes we think that, that it, you know, if we were in charge, then, then everything's going to be easier, right? We're going to tell people what to do, and they're just going to go and do it, and we're always going to get our way when there's a disagreement. But that's not biblical leadership. Being a servant leader like Jesus means that sometimes you're, you're going to have to touch dirty, smelly, sweaty, disgusting feet, right? It means that sometimes my phone rings at 2 a.m. and I've got to answer it. And I've got to spend a day sitting in a hospital waiting room wishing that I had the right words to say to someone. It means that sometimes... Uh, people like Pastor Ryan and others will come to my house and in the pouring rain spend six hours cutting down trees because I wasn't able to do it on my own. It means that leaders, we, we have to make decisions based on, on, on how we can best love those that God has entrusted to our care. And in Jesus' church, leaders, they do the most work, and they make the biggest sacrifices. And why? Because we're leading people by example to do what Jesus did. So we follow Jesus' example of humility and His example of servanthood, but we should also accept the role that has been given to us by God within the body. See, we We've seen Jesus wasn't super excited about some of the aspects of his role. Nevertheless, he embraced the difficult parts of his role, despite the fact that it meant that he had to, he had to exist within a world, a world that he had created perfect, 
but had been broken by sin. And he had to deal with people that he created who had also been made imperfect by their sin. And we're each called to our particular roles within the brokenness of this world as well. Paul, when he wrote about our roles, he kind of uh, referred to them as body parts, right? He says some people are hands and some are feet and some are ears and some are eyes. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, uh, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, God arranged them, each one of them as He chose. See, God, I think God knows Himself perfectly, so Jesus probably didn't have much of a struggle understanding His role, but I think that we, we have to work a little harder to figure out what it is that God has called us to. We've all been given the Great Commission, right? We're, we're all to go and make disciples. But that actually looks different for each of us because we all have a different function within the body. God's Word tells us that we, we all have spiritual giftings. So it's important for us to, to learn what are our spiritual gifts, and, and, and we need to grow in those gifts as we employ them in accomplishing His mission. And you know, Jesus Himself, He waited until He was 30 years old before He launched His public ministry, right? And what we see from that is that we're, we're going to have different stages in our life. Uh, we're going to go through different seasons, embracing different roles and callings along the way, along the path of our discipleship journey. As we discern our roles, we remember that Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Word, and we're, we're called to do that as well. And, and what that means is that when the Word places limitations on us, we have to heed them. There's limitations. We're, we're expected to operate within Christian boundaries. Ephesians 5 says, uh, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. The NIV version says it, uh, there should not even be a hint of these things. It's, it's where we get this idea that there should not be a hint of impropriety, right? A good, a good example of this is that, like, we don't encourage uh, mixed-sex discipleship groups. Can men benefit from the, the wisdom and experience of women? Can women benefit from the wisdom and experience of men? Sure. Sure. That happens all the time. But there, there is a potential for problem if we're not careful, even if it's just confusion of those who are watching. We have to be careful to put boundaries around those kinds of interactions. Another limitation we face is that we're expected to submit to headship. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, we submit to people all the time. We submit to the authority of judges and police officers and lawmakers. Why do we do that? Because Romans 13 tells us that the, the civil authorities are 
we're subject to them, that God Himself has instituted them. And the same thing is true of, of the leaders within the church. You know, Paul instructs the churches in the book of Timothy and Titus to appoint, uh, to, to uh, elect and install elders and deacons because God has ordained that there would be a sense of orderliness within His family. It's kind of interesting, right? God, in some places, He talks about His church as a body, and then in other places, He talks about the church as His family. We see in Scripture that there's clearly a head of the family, right? Ephesians 5, 25, I mean 22 through 25 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. And we've already talked about, we, we know that men and women are absolutely equal in value as they're both made in the image of God. And we see throughout Scripture the extreme importance of both mothers and fathers within the family. Yet God has ordained a headship role for husbands and a submission role for wives. Now, wives are not inferior to their husbands, not any more than Jesus is inferior to the Father. But like the Father and the Son, husbands and wives have been given different roles. Now note that Paul immediately follows this up with a call for husbands to love their wives. How? As Christ loved the church. They are the head of the family, but this is a role of servanthood. It's a call to lay down your life, to lay down your own preferences and your own desires, and instead guide your family in the purposes of God. God institutes headship in the, in the civil government, in our families, and in the church. There's not a single aspect of our life that is outside of His plan for orderliness. And I believe that He does this because it's just one of the ways where we continue to reflect the image of our Creator. But here's the thing. Any discussion of headship, it, in, it inevitably leads some of us to a very valid concern that perhaps the, the limitations that we find in Scripture will result in certain voices not being heard in the church. If men are head of the family, and the, the church, those in headship of the church, the elders are also men, then are women and their concerns being overlooked or neglected? I wish, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that that has never happened in God's church, but that just isn't true. Unfortunately, it has occurred, and there are examples of churches in which women have been denied the opportunity to use their gifts, and their voices have been silenced 
and the church has been deprived of the benefit of their wisdom and experience. Church, this should not be the way it is. I think most often this happens when a church misapplies a particular passage of Scripture that we find in 1 Timothy. This is what it says, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, let a, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, it would take a lot more time than I have this morning to unpack this verse fully for us. But let me say this clearly. Paul is not teaching here that women are never allowed to teach. And let me say this clearly. Paul is not teaching here that women are never allowed to lead men. I think a proper interpretation of this verse is it involves understanding the context involved, the context of where Timothy found himself. See, Timothy was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was known because that was where the temple of Artemis was. This was a very particular region. And the temple of Artemis was like a, a cult of fertility. It was, it was mainly led by women. The key leadership roles in that culture were women. And the people who were coming to faith and being a part of Timothy's church, they had this kind of cultural expectation that women would be in these key authoritative roles. And I believe that Paul wanted to clarify for Timothy that, it, that the Bible says that for Christian churches, teaching with authority is something that is reserved for the role of ordained elders. That's all it says. We see in other places in Scripture there's women such as Phoebe and I meant to look these up. Phoebe, Euodia, and Syntyche. We see that women like them had strange and hard to pronounce names. <laughs> we see that women like these, they had great responsibility and influence within the early church. Priscilla, she taught doctrine to Apollos. When we look at Scripture as a whole, we see that Paul clearly is not intending to ban women from all leadership roles. Now, in the next two weeks, Pastor Ryan is going to teach in greater detail about the qualifications for elders and deacons. And these are very specific, authoritative roles that Scripture does, in fact, reserve for specifically called men. But every other leadership position within the church is open to non-ordained people of both sexes. And this leads me to, to this new deeper understanding that the Holy Spirit has given to us uh, about the nature of church leadership at New City Church. Now, we're still a, a Presbyterian church, and and what that means is that we love and, and we fully embrace this model of governance that involves electing elders and deacons to leadership position. It means that we just love 
committees and, and red tape and Robert's rules and, you know, doing things the hard way. But, you know, as we, as we as elders began to talk about, like, well, what does this process of finding these leaders look like? We recognize that as Presbyterians, we have a certain tendency, and, and that tendency is that, that we, we tend to think of the elders and the deacons and the staff team. We, we kind of think, oh, they're like the whole thing. They're like all the leadership of the church. And while their roles are important, right, they're important enough that that God laid down those two offices in Scripture, a description and, 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 you know, they're very important, but they are not, by far they are not, the whole picture of leadership within a local church. The elders and the deacons and, and the staff, right, their role is to, is to equip the saints for the ministry of the church. Now, now, I used to be an elder at a church that had over 300 elders. And I can tell you, there will never be enough church officers to meet the needs of the church. And I think that this is by God's design. Because God never intended for a few ordained men to be doing all of the ministry. See, all of God's people, not just a few we're the priesthood of all believers. And the reality of New City Church is that the, the vast majority of leadership is already being provided by non-ordained, non-staff women and men, missional community leaders and team leaders and discipleship group leaders and, and other leaders who are doing key functions and key roles within the body. And the beauty of this is, is that these folks they don't, even, they don't even see it. They just say like, hey, I'm just serving. Just serving. These are exceptionally gifted people, and, and we seek them out all the time for their wisdom and their experience. Recently, we had a staff meeting. We said, you know what? Let's just make a list of all of them. And so we, we made this list, and I tell you, it was just so long. We're like, man, everybody's a leader. And we just had to stop, and we say, Wow. Look what God is doing in our midst. And this, this, this kind of group of leaders has kind of developed organically, right, as we've, as we've grown as a church. And we're coming to this realization now that we're not going to be able to uh, connect with them in such a meaningful way as we get larger and larger. We want to be able to encourage them and equip them and hear their voices. In the days of our launch team, those were the good old days. You know, there were like 10 of us. And we would get, every time we'd gather, we'd talk about the vision and the mission. And, and it, it was great. We were all so close. But we're beyond that now. We've been blessed with so many more of you. And so we want to ensure that, that we don't unintentionally drift away from the important key leaders in our congregation. And so what what we've decided to do is we're going to kind of formalize what has already been occurring informally. We're giving this list of leaders a name, and that name is the Servant Leadership Team. The Servant Leadership Team, well, they're going to meet about four times a year, right? We'll come together, we'll talk about the vision and the mission, we'll have some fellowship, but mostly we'll give them an opportunity 
to share ideas and wisdom with each other and with the officers and the staff. In the next couple of weeks, as we go through this series, it's, it's going to be an important time in the life of New City Church. We're, guys, we are working so hard behind the scenes. We're trying to get this building ready so that we can move into it. But, but even more than that, we're trying to have our teams ready so that we'll be ready to serve the community once we do move in. My challenge to you this morning is that this week, would you take some time? Would you ask God to reveal to you, to show you what are the, what are the roles that He's given you in the body? And have you been thinking about that role you have as maybe just a rung on the ladder? Maybe you've been looking up at those who have more authority than you and you've been maybe coveting a little bit. Or maybe you're in authority and you're looking down on others instead of seeking out opportunities to be of service to them. Maybe ask yourself this question, if, if the role that I have now, if that's what, if God told me I had to stay in that role for the rest of my time here on earth, would I be content with that? Some of us may find that we're, we're in one of those headship roles or we're in some other leadership uh, role, and if so, I would say, ask yourself these questions. Am I embracing my role as a leader, and am I doing so in the form of a servant? But whatever your role is, I would encourage you to find someone that you trust this week and just share with them one way that you think you could follow Jesus' example in the role you've been given. Ask them to pray for you and ask them to hold you accountable. And finally, for all of us, I'd say let's think about those people around us who are in roles of authority. Could, could, we, could we make a commitment that we would pray for them this week? Pray that they would embrace their role as servants and then, then maybe give them a hug or smile. As Jesus told His disciples after He washed their feet, He said that if we follow His example and we humbly embrace our roles in the form of a servant, He said we will be blessed. We'll find peace and joy as we stop trying to climb that ladder of success. And we'll stop trying to get to the top in some kind of futile attempt to find glory. So when we live as Jesus did, when we, when we truly abide in Him, that's when we find the peace and the joy and the satisfaction of His freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank You. I thank You that You did not consider equality with the Father to be something that is grasped. Lord, I thank You that You humbled Yourself, that You came as a servant, that You died on a cross for my sins and for the sins of those who believe in You, Lord. Lord, You are, the, you are such a servant. Lord, I repent that I don't always think of myself as a servant, that I sometimes think of myself as, as above others. And Lord, I pray that when that happens, that You would, you would call me to repentance, that I would be humbled, 
and that I would renew my commitment to serve others, to consider others greater than myself. And I pray that for the body here, Lord, as we grow, as more and more of us will have more and more opportunities to step into leadership. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is known for how much we serve one another and how much we serve our community. Lord, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.